Hello, this is Randy Pfizer, CEO for the American Geophysical Union, or AGU. And I'd like to welcome you to Third Pod from the Sun. This is a special episode, and we're going to be focusing in on allyship. You know, we have had recent events in our country, too many over the last uh, year to name, but we have obviously seen an increasing level of emphasis on addressing systemic racism in our country and just overt racism uh, and and uh, of most recent events of the Asian Asian Pacific Islander community um, being attacked in Atlanta. Um, obviously, there's the shootings in Boulder as well, and many, many more, as I, I said, that um, it would be take us this entire podcast to name. But we'd like to to state, um, I would like to state as the CEO for AGU, that this is not a world that I want to live in where people have to be afraid to live their lives because of their race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, religion, or any other aspect that, that make us human. And we know that words matter and that actions matter. And we thought that it might be a good idea to introduce the topic of allyship. It's something that we've talked about as an organization, but um, we thought we'd dedicate some time to, to talk about that. And, you know, AGU as a trusted leader on this topic, because we've been working on this for, you know, more than eight years as an organization, we have stepped into looking at issues of harassment um, and we have created eight action steps to combat systemic racism in our country um, and around the world. And it's important because it's actions we can all take around the world. One person really can make a difference. And we need to stand up for what's right. In the last couple of weeks, AGU invited uh, all of our board members, our council members, and other volunteer leaders to participate in a program um, on implicit bias. And the program was phenomenal. And AGU staff leadership also attended this. And it, it involved you know, a set of actors uh, facilitated by an expert in, in implicit bias, actually just acting out day-to-day -day conversations that you may see in, in many aspects of your life where implicit bias was taking place. And it really focused in on letting you see what happens when nothing is said, but also looking at what the effects are when you do step in and say something and how to say that in, the, in a situation and to see how that works. And because it was done with a group of actors, uh, we were able to play out the scenarios in different ways. It was really powerful. The, the, the community um, that participates in this has you know, rated this very highly. And AGU plans to find ways to bring this program to the broader membership as well as working with our own staff at, at AGU headquarters. We know that it's important that when you step into this world, that it's important to take it on on many different levels and in many different aspects of what makes up your community as a whole. And this really gets to the heart of what we've been talking about related to allyship is that, that we know that 
there's an issue um, and we are finding a way to say that when we see something, we can say something because that's the only way that this is really going to, to stop what's happening in our world. You know, as an overall organization, there are other levers that we can pull as well to make positive impacts in the world. And today I'm going to be joined by Lauren Parr, our Vice President for Meetings, and Lexi Schultz, our Vice President for Public Affairs. And we're going to be talking about how we use our meetings and our um, legislative voice uh, as an organization to demonstrate our allyship and how we speak up on issues and or change the world through our power of meetings and through our power of legislation. Now I'm going to introduce Lauren Parr, our uh, Vice President for Meetings at AGU. Uh, And we're going to have a quick conversation around um, how we use meetings as a way of demonstrating our allyship um, around the issues that we've been discussing. Welcome, Lauren. Hi, Randy. Thank you. Uh, Well, in, in thinking about AGU and our meetings and events that we, we host, um, you know, how far out are these planned and, and why? And, and what are some of the things that we have, have looked at as we think about meetings and the locations that we, we actually host them? So meetings are really exciting and they're an exciting part of what AGU does in convening the community. And in part, that's because we get to travel to new places and experience cities with our colleagues. And we're removed, hopefully, somewhat from our daily lives so that we can educate and teach and network uh, and share our science. And hopefully all of that helps us come away more inspired when we leave a meeting or an event. Our standard practices for meetings or this industry standard is really to have larger events like AGU's fall meeting confirmed. 10 to 15 years out, as there are fewer locations uh, for us, given the size and scope of the event. We're also uh, competing with sporting events, political events, uh, corporate events, and other meetings for that space and for those desirable cities. So it's something that we consider very early on. Uh, We begin early and we start those conversations early Uh, AGU's average, again, is about 10 to 14 years in advance, at least for the fall meeting. Wow, that's that's quite a commitment to um, to think about that. We're we have to think about these things 10 to 15 years out and so many things can change in that period of time. Um, So walk us through kind of what happens when you approach a new city. Um, I know that some we return to um, and things may have changed um, from the last time we had one there and others are brand new cities where we may not have had an event or a meeting before? Our approach for cities for the fall meeting is relatively defined as there are only about 10 or 12 cities, uh, at least in the United States, who can hold a meeting of our size. So as we consider others as folks build or expand, we certainly will look at those. Right now, we're looking at even what a fall meeting with satellite locations, both domestically and internationally, might look like. So we're considering all of these factors as we make selections about the future. When we first meet with our city partners uh, to look for a location, especially a location where we haven't been before, we take the time to really help that city get to know AGU. We talk about our strategic plan. We talk about our meeting strategy. We share current and emerging issues that are important to our community. And I'll give the example of sustainable meetings as being extremely important to our community. 
And often those cities will come and attend a, either a fall meeting or another AGU meeting to get an understanding of who we are and what's really top of line important to us. Once they know us a little bit better, we can work together to determine if a city is a potential partner. And we share our decision criteria with those locations in terms of what's top of mind for us and what we're looking for. There are a lot of great cities, uh, but ultimately we wanna find a place where AGU can host an amazing event and also make a really positive impact on that city. In these discussions, we include local members, we include local academic groups, and the exciting part is that when we have local members and local academia, they know AGU and they know our fall meeting and they also know the city and the location. And they're really able to help us have those conversations uh, in an enriched way. Well, it really um, sounds like we're building a relationship there, um, which I, th I think is fantastic. Um, and getting to know us, they, they're getting to know, we're getting to know them. And, uh, and I can imagine as you get to know people, you continue to be uncover layers and layers and layers over time. Um, so I, I, I love that this is you know, not just a one and done sort of process. And I, I know that there's not really a defined list or a rubric um, for making these decisions um, because it's, it's very complex. But I know that you and your team have you know, top of mind things that you think about when you're approaching a new city and, and making that decision to, to work within the city. And, and obviously this also can, includes the planning committees that we work with, our volunteer leadership um, that are in this process of decision-making. So can you talk, cover some of those top issues that you're, or aspects that you're thinking about when you go into have these conversations? Sure. Our top considerations actually come directly from our members and our community because we ask every year, we say, tell us what's important to you and we have a variety of ways of collecting that information. And the top considerations noted by the community really are safety, accessibility, and then cost to attendee. And when I say safety, I mean safety is our paramount consideration. And that means that the safety of all of our attendees, our staff, and our vendor partners is top of line when we consider a location. Accessibility in this context means how easy is it to get to a city? How easy is it for our global community to plan their travel? And also, what is the accessibility within the city? So are there trains? Are there flights? Is there good public transportation? Um, AGU doesn't shuttle. We don't use shuttles between our hotels and the convention center. So walkability is really going to be key for our community. So let's let's build off of that, Lauren. Um, how would we work with a city in a convention and visitors bureau, um, which is often the the primary touch point when something has changed in the city or standards have changed um, in in sort of our expectations around sustainability or other um, issues that that may come up? Um, how would we work with them, and and what sort of success factors have we seen um, in those collaborations and and partnerships? So additional criteria, additional things we consider are sustainability of the center, sustainability of the city. We look at the cost to AGU. We look at technology capabilities in the center and in the hotels. We consider dates. We consider what the weather might be like. We look at many, many years of weather data before we make decisions. And we look at a variety of factors that determine how welcome people may feel in that city. Is this a place where they would want to go? Is this a place where every attendee would feel welcome? And what would their experience be like? 
And that includes a discussion with the city on pending legislation or practices or existing laws that may be discriminatory or restrictive in nature. And we do have those conversations. That's great. Uh, and such a, um, a, a well thought out sort of dynamic relationship. Uh, and, and we always hope that um, we're, everybody's better um, for the relationship and, and for the work that comes together. But what happens if something doesn't change or some, some last minute things happen? I, I, we don't need to go into a, a specific um, example, um, but what is sort of the last sort of um, last dimension of what AGU can do if for some reason something doesn't change in the way that we really needed to change to, to meet all those um, things that you've laid out as aspects of what a successful meeting would look like and be? Ultimately, when we make a selection, we do so knowing that this is a really good choice at the time that the decision is made with all of the information that is available to us. And we also know that given the time frame, Randy, as you said, things can change in cities. Thank you, Lauren. That's That's been really helpful. Um, and I, again, um, such a, a robust process and, and set of conversations and, and really, again, relationship building, which we hope will always um, end in just everybody becoming better uh, because of the, the, the engagement level that we put into it. So there's other things that AGU can do as well um, in demonstrating allyship. And I'd like to now introduce uh, Lexi Schultz, our Vice President for Public Affairs uh, for AGU. Welcome, Lexi. So public affairs or our government affairs work um, at AGU, how does policy fit into allyship? There are so many ways in which policy plays a role in either creating a more just world or conversely, uh, contributing to a less just world. And whether it's about uh, speaking out when things happen that um, are harmful or really working to ensure that policy can help address some of the situations we've seen um, in this nation and other places, we really do try to step up on behalf of our membership. So I would say there are maybe four ways that the policy program and our efforts really try to step up to to serve as allies. So one very much is prioritizing a focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. And so HU sets policy priorities every year. And this year, as it has been for a couple of years, that focus on what we call JEDI is very much front and center. So that means a couple of things. First of all, anytime that we send letters or communicate with policymakers, that specific issue and the importance of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion is, is right there front and center in those communications. It also means that we really look for and focus on bills, pieces of legislation, other policy actions that, um, that really do focus on those issues. And we actually, this is kind of the second thing, is we endorse bills and other policy measures that, that focus on that. So whether it's a bill to address sexual harassment in the sciences or ones that look to support STEM education in minority-serving institutions, for example, or when uh, Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson, who's the chair of the House Science Committee, wrote to the National Academies calling for a, a look and a review of systemic racism in the sciences. 
we supported each one of those with letters and adding the voice of AGU and the kind of power of our membership behind those efforts. The third thing that we can do is to really speak out when there are practices that are unjust. And so one one really strong example of that is when there were measures against immigration um, taken by the previous administration in the United States. And sort of lastly, what I would say is we really work to empower voices um, and uh, from diverse communities to connect with their policymakers. That means providing skills, providing opportunities, providing support for them to do so. And we're really trying to ensure that policymakers hear from those voices directly. And, and there are a number of ways we do this, but um, one, one example is our Voices for Science program, where we're really working with a cadre of 40 folks every year for them to develop a sustained relationship with their policymakers. That's great. And and again, so many different layers of how we can um, uh, demonstrate an imp- and, and have an impact. You know, one, one area that has been um, f- affecting us uh, today um, relates to um, COVID, and, but it also has been used in different ways of, you know, travel being banned. And it's on a global scale right now. It's not just people coming to the United States to possibly attend fall meeting. But it's people being able to go on field um, exercises and do their their work in other countries around the world. So, what what is AGU's role there? What can, what can we do when it looks we look at travel bans? I mean, certainly where we can try to change policies directly, we do that. But as a as a first measure, what we do is join with all of the voices who are concerned about those kinds of issues to speak out. The scientific enterprise is inherently global. We, we just cannot make the progress, the breakthroughs that we've seen without all of the voices at the table. And within the U.S., frankly, a lot of the strength of our enterprise is because of people from other nations. When you add that to discrimination, um, as you say, in this country and others uh, against certain populations, like, like the Asian population um, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we really feel that speaking out is the first step, is that kind of first measure. In the case of the immigration bans under the previous administration, we sent a letter combined with so many of our sister societies directly to the president, outlining exactly what the harms were, calling for the overturn of those measures. And even more importantly, we activated our membership to send letters and messages to their policymakers directly so that those policymakers could really understand what the impacts are, um, what the harms are from those, and and to educate and also to call for the reversal of those policies. That's great. Um, And you touched on two things there that I'd like to, to go a little bit deeper into. One of them is you, you talked about the the number of issues for which AGU could potentially have to um, comment on or, or have an opinion around. Um, the other is on the value of coalitions. So let's start with the first one. You know, we we have to understand when our voice is, is additive. Um, so how, how do you go through that process? How do you make decisions of which ones to lean into and and which areas that, where we don't comment? So that's such an important question, Randy. There, there is no clear answer um, and no bright line. But I think the first question we ask ourselves is, is this something that our members care about? And is this something that makes a difference to them? That's, that's always the, the bottom line. And, you know, are, are they affected? Can we 
help if we speak out in this manner. The second consideration um, we ask ourselves is, are we a top voice? Are we a leading voice on an issue? Um, or if we're not the leading voice, are, are we at least an important voice um, to be heard um, you know, on an issue? Sometimes, even when we're not that top voice, it's still important that we are joining with our, with our allies in the scientific community to speak out. One of the things we do like to ask ourselves is, will policymakers pay attention to us? There are some issues for which AGU really is a, a, a critical voice. Um, and there are certain bodies like science committees or science institutions within administrations in the U.S. and around the globe where they, they know, they pay attention. AGU is a leading voice, certainly for the earth and space sciences and in some cases for, for science more broadly. There are, there are other issues where they may have their ears perked to us, but they may go to others first, and we pay attention to those sorts of you know, considerations. There are times when we are not the leading voice, and we are sensitive to that. There, it becomes a little bit more of a question of, can we make a difference? Um, sometimes we can. If we activate the voices of our members, maybe that can really change a dynamic, but we are aware that sometimes we don't have that power or capacity. And in that case, we want to be a little careful because we don't want to speak out so much that we, we stop being heard or that we, we diminish the power of our voice when we are truly a, a lead on a topic. So as, as you can see, it's, it's subtle, but you know, we ask ourselves all of these questions on a case-by-case basis. What a what a great sort of way to think through the the when 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 and how does it matter um, is part of what I um, hear you saying. And within that, you also did allude to when we join voices with others, which you know in in the terminology coalitions. Um, talk to me about the value of coalitions. Absolutely, and um, so the AGU in general and um, the the policy team in particular, we are part of so many different coalitions, and those can be the scientific societies or universities that come together around a particular topic, such as climate change, or uh, funding for the sciences, or it can be on a you know an, an area where we need to speak out together about, for example, how important immigration is in this country. Um, for the sciences. So, uh, you know, I, I, there's, a, there's a sort of a, a story about an individual stick where um, a stick can be powerful, but it can also be broken. But if you bundle a whole bunch of sticks together, it's much harder to, to break that stick. You know, if we stick together, um, we really can have power in numbers sometimes. So for that reason, coalitions can be very powerful when we use our voices together. I think it's, it can be quite meaningful if AGU speaks out, but when the entire scientific enterprise stands up and says, for example, that racism in science needs to be addressed, that is much more powerful. And it's also really important because there are times when there are sister societies like those in the medical sciences, for example, or the social sciences, where they reach communities that we don't. That means they have access to knowledge and insights that we don't. And it's important for us to learn from them and conversely for them to learn from us. 
And so they can add nuance and clarity and meaning on topics that we wouldn't otherwise have access to. And I think that's that's really important. I think it's important in the in the practice of scientific research, but it's important when we speak out on issues as well. And and finally, I will say that we we share, we collaborate knowledge. You know, there are times when things are about to happen from a policy perspective or in the world. And we share that with each other so that we can be prepared and we can think strategically about, you know, how to proceed. So for all those reasons, those coalitions are really, really powerful. Thanks, Lexi. And I think the the coalition is just such a great, and the, and the metaphor you gave around the sticks uh, and the bundle of sticks is just such a great way to also sort of come full circle on allyship uh, in our conversation today. So today was a, a sort of third pod from the sun takeover um, on a, with a discussion of focus on allyship. And we know that individually, there's a lot we can do but we always know that as an organization who represents all of you, our community, we can make a difference too. Thank you, Lexi. Thank you, Lauren. And thank you for joining us on Third Pod from the Sun. Thank you.